I will never forget the day I met Catherine Roberry. We were walking into church, and I said hello. We were instant friends. Catherine is an amazing woman who has been given opportunities to love and to lift and to serve in a way that um, many of us will never have. Her second child uh, was born with a disease that is terminal. He has outlived the projections, and it has had a profound effect upon her and upon her husband and upon the rest of her family. She is amazing. You will not regret spending the time listening to this podcast today. Welcome to Karen the Load Podcast. This is Annette, and I have Catherine Roberry here with us as our guest today. She was born and raised in Utah, the middle of five hilarious children. She studied special education at BYU and worked in various positions within public mainstream schools, clusters, units, self-contained schools, and the majority of her employment was with Utah Schools for the Deaf and the Blind. Catherine had the opportunity to serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the states of Oregon and Washington. A couple years after her mission, she returned to visit the friends that she had made there. It was during that visit that a friend introduced her to Rick, who is now her hero, best friend and husband. Together, they are raising their own five hilarious children. One of their kids has a rare genetic terminal illness. They have traveled a bit, visiting different doctors, and currently live in Texas in order to be closer to a medical team who have experience with his condition. Catherine gets to be home with her kids during the day and works on writing and illustrating children's books after they are tucked in at night. She loves homemade bread, chocolate, and pickles, but not together. She has double-jointed thumbs with create a precariously broad splash zone around her when eating with chopsticks. She loves baking, not to be confused with good at baking. And she loves her savior, her family, and her life. Catherine, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just, I think all of our listeners are going to get a taste of who you are and have a taste of who you are just from that intro. And I, and I'm sure they have a smile on, on their face. <laughs> That's because they're not sitting next to me with chopsticks. If they are. I, I did think I'm glad I wasn't sitting next to you with chopsticks, chopsticks back in the day when we were neighbors. I love Catherine and, and friends, you need to know that I'm a little biased about her and, who she is and her um, example in my life. We were talking before we we started recording, and it's been some time. How many years do you think it's been since we we've actually been able to visit? Well, that first meeting was about ten or so years ago. So we met um, as we were walking into church together. 
and it was she had just moved into our neighborhood and we were fast friends from that moment we met well you you were put on the spot right when we met so someone asked we walked in the building and someone asked Annette to introduce her friend meaning me and we had just met in the parking lot and I sat back to see what Annette was going to say. And she introduced, you know, as far as she knew, as my friend. And so that friendship was tested right in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> it was tested right away, but it was, it was um, genuine. So Catherine, let's just, let's just dive in. So I, you know, I love this um, bio. There's things I learned from you in, in, in this one, I didn't know that you graduated in special education. Well, Oh no, this is embarrassing. See, you caught me. I said studied. I haven't fully graduated yet. (laughs) You did. You did. I studied special education. So I'm, I'm close. I put it on hold when I went on the mission and then came back and was going straight to work to earn money to go back to school. So, and then got married and the kids came. So that's kind of on the back burner. I'm, I'm close to that graduation, but just to clarify. yeah, You studied it and boy, is it helping you now in your life? You know, and I had no idea back then that it was preparatory for where I am now and helping my son and Everything I studied at school, everything I did at work, all that training has been put into work now with these kids, all of the kids, but especially the one with the illness. And I just had no idea, you know, it's, there's no question. It's all part of a grand plan. I fully believe because it was just, how could I have known back then, you know, where life was going to go and it was all preparatory. It was all preparatory, and I'm glad that you you see it as that. I think often in life we we can look back, hopefully we can look back, and we can see that grand design. And we can see how we have um, been prepared for certain, certain situations and, and things that come up in life and also learn from those things. There are many things now that I look back and I think, wow. What a gift. What a blessing that that maybe my prayers weren't answered exactly like I hoped they would have been or like I asked. Because that preparation by a loving Heavenly Father allowed me to learn and to grow and helped me to become who I am today so that honestly, I have the ability to reach out, to be that friend to have that desire to help others. Oh, well said. It's too bad that this year 2020 is being so crazy and chaotic because, you know, they say hindsight is 2020 and and now people are going to be thinking of this year. But like you were saying, we look back and you see things different. Things make sense. Things are, pieces are falling into place. Whereas when you're amid the chaos, you're not seeing how it's all going to fit together and it's not till you look back that you can see that. But I think that does just realizing that is what gives you hope for the future, right? You're able to look back. If it makes sense, looking back, you know, I have hope that what's happening now is going to make sense someday too. It will. It will. So will you go into a little more detail about 
your family and your your dynamics as a family and um, these incredible children that you and Rick have been blessed with? Well, let's see. There's so there's five kids, and they range from ages ten to two. We've got two girls, three boys. The youngest was a boy, so he was the tiebreaker. We were half and half, and so now the girls. We need to get a girl goldfish or something. You know, even the odds. They weren't too excited about you know the tiebreaker going the boys' favor, but um, they're just great, great, great kids. So the oldest is a girl. Elsie. And then our second was Isaac. And he's the one that's been diagnosed. And it's interesting. He was diagnosed with, it's called Lay's disease. Um, it's like a sleigh ride without the S. Lay's. And you can Google it. It is not a very friendly disease. Um, we, we were in some different um, tests and um, research studies you know, trying to find, there's not a whole lot of information out there about it because it's rare. But since we moved out here, there's a Lay's clinic out here that brought us out here. And ironically, we're now switching to a different team of doctors than what brought us out here. But um, they're now wondering if it was a misdiagnosis, possibly. They're doing some further genetic testing. They know it's genetic. And Rick and I are both carriers. It's funny, when we first found that out, um, they... They asked if we were cousins and um, I didn't, I didn't know what they were getting at. You know, they didn't explain why necessarily the doctor just came in and he said, so, you know, and he's trying to be professional about it. And he looks at Rick and I, and he's like, are you guys cousins? <laughs> and I don't remember exactly what Rick said. He said something right off the cuff. Um, <laughs> being sarcastic about kissing cousins or something, you know, something bizarre. And I was dying. I said, no, no, we're not cousins. And anyways, they said that um, typically this disease is passed through the family and it's usually just through the mother's line. And so that's why the chances of us getting together are very, very rare. They said it was one in a million that Rick and I would get together. And I've always told people Rick is one in a million and now I've got genetic proof, you know. Well, you're one in a million too. So you both you both got the jackpot when you found each other. But um, so there you go. And we're doing more testing now. Now that we're out here, we'll find out uh, what they think. But um, just trying to best take care of Isaac. And after we found out we were carriers, it was interesting. Um, you know, people react to news like that differently. And we learned a lot. Um, family members going to into grieving and um, everyone telling us don't have any more kids. You know, it's not worth the risk because there's that genetic risk now with every child, every pregnancy and looking at different options. And so it, it made for a really interesting time. And um, Rick and I were prayerful about it. And we talked with church leaders and, um, we decided to go ahead and that we had more children still to come to our family. And so we became pregnant again. And that was a really fascinating pregnancy. It was the first time where you announce to someone you're pregnant and people aren't excited right away. You know, instantly people are apprehensive and nervous and, and, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, like they're offering condolences. Like, I'm sure you didn't mean for that to happen. Oh, this is so frightening. You know, what if that happens again? So anyways, and um, 
but then we went on to have three more after Isaac. So the four other children are all healthy. They don't have that genetic illness as Isaac, at least as far as you know. The last three we had genetically tested after they were born, just because, you know, you kick yourself. When Isaac was born, we just thought he had really bad acid reflux um, with some of the signs that he was doing. And had I known what was going on, we could have helped him sooner with what he really needed. And and he he started doing this eye tick thing. His eyes would tick or his eyes would start to cross. And Elsie, they're really close in age. They're about a year and a half apart. And Elsie was at that age when he was born where she loved eyes. Like she was obsessing on eyes. She's learning, you know, body and everything. So she would always poke him in the eye. And I was like, Elsie, leave him alone. And I didn't know. So one day, the first day I saw his eyes ticking and his eyes crossed, I was like, she broke him. She broke, you know, she broke his eyes. She broke his eyes. Anyways, you know, just I just said, we had no idea. We had no idea what was going on. And so when that diagnosis came, um, it was a real kick in the gut, just knock the wind out of you. And because um, I just thought he had really bad acid reflux and had his sister poking his eyes. That's what I, that's how I naive I was to the medical, you know. <laughs> but you don't know, you know, yeah. and here, yeah. you know, you talk about dreams and hopes and all these things. And that's the furthest thing from your mind. And your your plans and everything else is that he would have this really scary disease. All those dreams went out the window for him. I think that's one of the biggest. I've got to be careful because we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot through all of these experiences. But one of the biggest for me has been about outcomes. I realized how much I put my faith in outcomes or my hopes or dreams, like you were saying, in mm-hmm. in outcomes. What what's going to happen because of this, and what's in our control, and um, putting your happiness in a desired outcome, you know, is a very precarious spot to be in. It, it is, and um, you know, many of our listeners may not be aware of of a diagnosis with our son, it took your breath away. It just, because all of those ideas, those dreams, those outcomes, like you talk about, they were, they were no more. And how can you have that joy and find joy in the journey when we based everything on outcomes? Still good to strive for things, but that's where for me it falls back on god he's the constant throughout it all circumstances there's so much out of our control but our relationship with him is so in our control and if we can trust him like you were saying and and his orchestration this plan that he has that's what gives us hope that there's purpose in this and trusting in him um my dad if i can share really quick my dad shared a story with me and it originated from an elder Marvin J. Ashton back in 1985, gave a talk on trusting our father in regards to trusting our father in heaven, trusting God. And he gave a story about a, a father and his daughter and his daughter was blind. And she must have been a very young girl. She was sitting in his lap and they were on a crowded train. Have you heard this story? Before? No. Um, 
They're sitting on a crowded train and they must have been going on a long journey. She was sitting in his lap and a friend shows up, you know, on and off the train. A friend shows up and starts talking with the dad and sits down and um, offers to hold hold his child, hold this girl and give the dad a little break. So the dad's able to rest. And so he takes him up on it. And this friend takes the little girl and the dad's resting. And then the, the dad realizes after a few minutes um, that he didn't tell the little girl who's holding him and she's blind. And so he asked his daughter, he said, do you know who's holding you? And she said, no, but I know you do. And so that's why she was able to sit there in peace, you know, and just was totally calm and was fine with it because she didn't know who was holding her, but she trusted her dad. And the story was illustrating her trust in her father. And, you know, the lesson takeaway is our trust in our God and in our father in heaven. Um, no matter what's going on around us, he's going to love us. And do we love him no matter what's going on? Do we trust him? We might not know the why. I don't know why Isaac has this disease or like the the diagnosis you're describing um, with your son. And I don't know why that happens, but I know there is a why. And that makes all the difference for me. And not only that there is a why, but it's the very best why imaginable because this is an all-knowing, all-powerful God, right? Like Exactly. And knowing there is a why and trusting that it's okay that we don't understand that why, but someone that we love and that we trust does. And that can be enough. And for me, that had to be enough. And I was able to have joy in my life and find joy and, and stop basing my joy on the outcome and and being able to be present more and, and to really just focus and try to stay in the moment. Now that doesn't mean that there were at really hard times, right? Just that that those times I could, I could, you know, just bask in those feelings of trust. And that's what it's, what gets you through. Like we were talking about before, Someday we're going to look back and see how this all fits in. I, to this day, I I don't know why children have to suffer. That's the hardest thing for me. It's easy to sit here and look at your beautiful face and talk about faith in God and life and life is great. And then I'll turn around and we'll be driving to the hospital and I am just pleading, please not today, please not now, you know, and I'm just holding my son like, please not today. And, and I feel so weak in those moments, but um I've quit feeling guilty. I feel guilty, I realize, whenever I'm having a hard time or when life is really challenging because I feel like I must not be trusting God enough. I must not be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I know exactly what you mean because I felt that way. Answer, the solution I came to was that it's not about me doing something wrong. There is nothing that is more difficult than as a mother and a father watching your child suffer, knowing you can't fix it, knowing you can't take that pain away. You can't change that outcome. That's what is so, so terribly gut-wrenching. And I believe those times that you're pleading and you're struggling a little bit more, it's because you love your son so much 
it has nothing to do with you not being enough. It's, it is all about that love. I don't know how to help. I don't know why this is happening, but I know that God does. And falling back on that, it doesn't make sense to me, but I know it does to him. And that's where what helps me cut that guilt out is knowing that it's a relationship and relationship takes development. And I might not have a perfect relationship with God where I fully trust him in those moments because I'm thinking, how could you let this happen? You know, or those moments where it's like, surely this isn't the best thing, you know, and I'm questioning it and, and, but, um, I'm getting better and I'm working and that relationship is growing and trusting him because I do believe he's all powerful, all knowing and that all loving. And, um, and the great thing about it is like with that blind girl that we can, um, trust our father because he knows what's best. Even when it's painful, even when it's hard, um, that there's a purpose in it. And, um, and working on that relationship, just loving him no matter what, trusting him no matter what, and boiling down to that no matter what. The other thing, too, is he respects our agency. He's going to let us choose, and he's never going to override that. And yet he's going to give us, he gives us the power we need, right? Philippians mm-hmm. 4.13, that famous scripture, can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And but we have to choose him. We have to choose to trust, choose to rely on him. And that's when he gives us the power we need to do what we need to do. So all we have to do, it's so empowering. I think he has the power to do it. We just need to to reach out because he won't overstep that. He loves us enough to wait for us to reach out to him for help. And in those moments, maybe maybe you haven't experienced this, but there have been times there have been times I've prayed for help and I have felt it, you know, and then there are other times I've prayed for help and then things get harder and I'm not feeling it. And that's again trusting no matter what, no matter what, because there's a reason, there's a reason for that, you know. And I have felt that and I have experienced that. And I've thought, well, what am you know, again, what am I doing wrong? It was, it was my fault. You know, there's something there. And the reality was I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand the growth that was happening within, even though what I had prayed for wasn't taken away. He strengthened me, which ultimately helped me in a situation down the road that had I not experienced this other stepping stone in there, this one over here would have done me in because I hadn't progressed along the way. And another thing that I keep thinking about your other children and how, how difficult it it is to to juggle a little bit and, and making sure that you're giving that attention to all of your children when Isaac needs so much. How do you divide up you to be enough? Well, I think 
I think any mother has to do it. It's a constant state of picking your battles and do I clean the the vomit on the wall or put out the fire that they just are, you know, or, you know, you do, it's quick assessments all the time of which need needs to be taken care of right this second. But um, Isaac has a lot of um, medical needs. And like you said, and it's a full-time job. He's tube fed and he's got suction machines and there's just a lot going on and medication schedule and all of that standard physical therapy, all of those things. But um, he doesn't, he doesn't walk. He's in a wheelchair. He stays where I, he stays where I put him. Is that terrible to say? No. It's the other kids. It's the other kids that are climbing into things and launching themselves off of stuff, you know? And so, so. You have um, a two-year-old. You have a four-year-old. <laughs> you, and, and with fully on-track development with all of your children, guess what's going to be happening? Jumping off of things, climbing up on things, doing all those things. So this is a completely normal life for you. And it is for your children because this is your life. And and it's your attitude and how you and Rick handle this. You will be able to look back in time like I have with, with my children and who they have become because in direct relation to what they experienced with Reed and all of his health challenges and his death. Preparatory for them too, right? It's not just us. It's, and it's a team. That's what we always say. Team Roberry, we're, we're in this together. You know, everyone's got a part and a role to play. Everyone's important. And, and these kids, it's so funny. And that, oh, they, so Elsie, my oldest, is Isaac's favorite person in the whole world. And um, when he was younger, if she was crying, he would cry. And when he would cry, it would lead to choking and throwing up. So we did everything we could to keep him from crying, which meant Elsie couldn't cry. So if she got in trouble for something, you know, we had to, she had to do time out in a different room if she was throwing a fit about it. Because like, you can't do that by Isaac because he couldn't stand it. And now that she's older. Um, she can use that to her advantage a little bit, not with crying, but if there's something she wants, she'll turn to Isaac and be like, isn't that right, Isaac? And he smiles so big. She knows how to get him on her side about anything. He and her are in sync. And, you know, Isaac, before his diagnosis, it's interesting. Um, this just came back to mind. Um, he received a special blessing, a baby's blessing when he was very young. And um, in that blessing, it was stated that he would be a protection to his sister. And at the time, at the time, I was thinking, oh, you know, they're close in age. He's going to fight off bullies when they're older, you know. And, and then the diagnosis came. And looking back on that now, it's a totally different meaning, but it's there. You know, what he's teaching her and who she's becoming, I believe, is being a protection to her. Yeah. I know it is. And it was amazing to me how, it you know, especially I, I remember, recall this one time going to parent-teacher conference. And um, it was Tommy's senior year. And Reed was really struggling. He, it was just, it was one thing after another. You know, like you said, you're driving to the hospital and you're saying, not this time, not this time, or not now. You know, all of, all of those emotions. And, and here I've got, you know, a son in, in 
high school in his senior year. But the teacher's talking to me about him seeing the one, him able to see the one that needed a friend or the one that was struggling. And I knew inside his ability to see the one was a direct reflection of him taking care of his older brother and him being able to see that pain. And it became a protection to him. It became a protection in the normal life of a teenager and in that development and in his career and in so many ways, it has been that protection. There was no coincidence. It makes such a difference right now. See, I'm not quite to that point yet. And right now the effects we're seeing is the kids doing physical therapy with their dolls, you know, or trying to hook a G tube up to their, their teddy bear and things like that. So I know it's having an effect on them, but it's a little different right now when they're younger, but, um, but it's true. I've the, um, they've seen other people with special needs or other things going on and, um, they don't, they don't bat an eye, you know, they're not afraid. They don't look at it as, as unusual or anything because that's a part of who they are. And see, and that's another thing. Um, I talk about the biggest things I've learned, everything, everything throughout all of this. It's looking past labels, mm-hmm. seeing people. And there's so much more to Isaac than this disease. You know, it doesn't define him. Same with you and and Mark and your kids. And same with everyone that we meet. We meet people and there's so many labels. And I think labels have a place as far as meeting people's needs. You can, you know, and diagnosis if if there's medication, if there's therapies that can address the needs that go with that label, but it doesn't define the person. No, it does not in any way. It, But it helps us understand the person, those labels. And so that's where I'm okay with labels too. But I think of just you and I, and and if people got to really know us, you know, really know what's what's tender and what keeps us up at night. Some of those things that if we could see and walking down the street and a little bubble coming up and it says, this kept me up at night last night. Well, how would we respond to that person if we, we knew that? And I think it's, again, you know, having those eyes to see and really trying to look, to look beyond the smile, look, look inward to see see those needs and how can we support them? No one goes through this life without hard times. Nobody. We're all in this together. We're all here. We're all struggling. Right. And, and that's why we have care in the load because yes, we are in this together. And the only way I have survived was by having those people who I could look to who were a reflection of of love and goodness and hope that got me through. I had this my relationship with God, and thankfully, He blessed me with these angels. Some seen, some not seen. And I think you've probably been surrounded by and have a house full of angels. Really do, like you said, both seen and unseen. We've had really neat experiences and a lot of sacred experiences and 
when Isaac was a baby, he just cried all the time, cried and thrashed around 24-7. He would, out of exhaustion, he'd fall asleep for about 15-minute periods at a time. But outside of that, was just crying. And and again, everyone thought it was just colic, you know, or these different things. But um, anyways, there was a um, a lady that came by and she offered to hold him. And I had, you know, usually when you hold somebody's baby and they cry, you hand them back to the mom, right? <laughs> like, there you go. <laughs> and um, she came over and she offered to hold him and he was crying. And I was used to just apologizing for her. And I said, oh, you know, he's having a hard time. Thanks, though. And that's what I just told everybody, right? And um, she also had a son with special needs and was in a wheelchair. And um, she looked at me and she said, Catherine, I'm not afraid of crying. It's going to make me cry talking about it. And um, because nobody likes crying. No one likes a baby crying. But she said, I'm not afraid of crying. And um, so she held him. And I just went outside and I went for a walk around the neighborhood. And at first I could still hear his crying just echoing in my head. And I thought, oh, this isn't working. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm with him or away. I'm going to just hear it. I can't. But I just kept walking. And eventually... I heard birds and eventually I felt the sun on my face and I felt that wind and, and I was able to just take a deep breath. And then I was able to go back and I was so rejuvenated and so much more strengthened. And, and he had been crying that whole time, but she was just bouncing him and, and she wasn't afraid of the crying to give me a break, you know? So it's like what you're saying, we're in this together. And if we can help each other, not be afraid of um, what someone might be dealing with and really helping them. And bless you. And you're doing that. I, um, you know, bless this lady who told you she wasn't afraid of crying. And, you know, I had these angels in my life who at one point, everything was wearing me down. And, um, and I can't even remember. I was serving with this group of women for a, a girls camp. Uh, summer girls camp and one day they gathered around and they told me they weren't afraid hmm. and all of a sudden I knew inside that they would love me no matter what that they wouldn't be afraid of whatever came out whatever happened and it was that love that gave me the the strength and the ability to go on when I didn't feel like I could. And so these little steps of getting out of our comfort zone, of not being afraid of what's happening around us, and how can we help? Oh, what a wonderful world it could be, right? If we could just really do that. I think that's what we're here to do. I think we are too. We are not here to be disconnected. Prior to the craziness of COVID, we were all in our own little worlds. And I think even though you could be in a room full of people often, people were in their own world, even though they're surrounded and you're in the same room. And, and you, I could feel lonely. I could feel you know this disconnect all around us. And then here comes all of these crazy things in the world right now. And, and we physically needed to disconnect, right? We physically needed to kind of remove ourselves from those day-to-day -day connections. But what it has 
allowed me to see is things that I maybe did take for granted, I'm no longer going to take for granted. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer going to take for granted that I used to be able to go to church in a church house and and worship with a congregation that I looked at as my family and friends, and now I have church at home. And I miss that connection. And so here we have been able to create things in our own lives, in, in, in care on the load, in a way to connect us in a very different way. But we can still connect. And here we are thousands of miles away recording this. But I see her face, friends who are listening. I wish you could see her face. You will see her face on our show notes. But you could see this love and this joy, and it just comes through this screen. And, and I love it. And it reminds me of those things that do bind us together and tie us together. And so even though we might have restrictions on us because of situations, because of illnesses, because of disease or locations of where we live, doesn't mean we can't connect and love and lift another. Connecting with people no matter what. And you found a way this allows that no matter what. It allows that no matter what. Mark and I were watching um, a documentary. It was on Netflix, uh, Corey Tenbin. And with you know her life and, and back in in the war and how they were able to help so many people that were being um you know because of, of who they were because of their lineage and, and things that were, were being killed. But in there one of the quotes that just I keep hearing it, she said, I had to let go of the what ifs had to let go of those what ifs. And I thought, what great counsel for all of us. The letting go of the what ifs. There's peace on the other side, if you can really do that. Peace and joy in the journey, you know, like you're saying. And her forgiveness at the end of that book was probably one of the most powerful things I've ever read. And, you know, life is messy. And you bump heads with people. We need people. We help each other. But then there's people <laughs> make you want to just move into the mountains and never see another human soul ever again. And um, I, not too long ago, you know, amid, anyways, amid all these challenges, like we were discussing, people, I've learned a lot, come into my life to help. And some of it's helpful and some of it isn't. And some of it's hurtful. And there was a circumstance, there was some hurt cause that I didn't think I could ever forgive. And she came to mind. And I, so many times, even when I read that book the first time years and years ago, I thought, how could she forgive? After all that had happened, how could she do it? You know, it's one thing to say it. It's one thing I believe in the principle behind it, but to really be able to truly do it. And I had an experience where I felt it. I felt what she had described and um, was able to forgive someone that I didn't think I could. And and the peace and the joy, Annette, was amazing. Oh, it just gives me chills just re- thinking back on it. it. I was on my knees 
And I was praying and it just flooded into my soul. It was absolutely powerful, powerful. And I think it's connected to um, judging. And in that particular circumstance, it was connected again, like what we've been talking about, about my desire to understand. I couldn't understand why this person did what they did, right? And it's like I couldn't forgive them until I could justify what they did. And then that's when it all came full circle it doesn't have to make sense to forgive them. It doesn't have to um, be justified. It doesn't have to be even right. I don't have to agree with it. All of those, you know, you know this, but I think it's connected to our our judgments, our labels, our um, like what we've been talking about. They have their own struggles, and when they say and do things based on their experiences, and when it's different than what we understand, you can't wrap your mind around it. And being able to forgive being able to love, being able to help, I think requires a lot of cutting out those what ifs, cutting out the judgment of those labels. And But if we can really do that, and I I need to be better at it, but I felt it. I felt it that time and I want to feel it more. I want to do it more with everyone because nothing is better than that feeling when you really can love someone, forgive them, forgive yourself. For past misunderstandings, you know things better now than you did before. It, that's where hope, peace, joy, it all comes together. It all comes together through that. One of the things I asked you prior to this about, a, you know, what did you hope we could accomplish or some takeaways for our listeners? The first one you said, I suppose it all boils down to hope. If I could give our listeners anything, it would be hope. No one has it easy in this life, but there is hope for each of us. You are a prime example about not having it easy in this life. And you've, you've touched a little bit on, on how you've had that hope. But is there another bit of a tip or wisdom that you could share of how you were able to to draw in and find that hope to help you move on? There's a phrase that hit me one day, and I want to hear your thoughts on this too. Um, But it's like what we've been talking about, looking back and things are making sense. So when I'm in, a dark spot or I'm in a struggle. And it's interesting too. Um, it's easy -er for me to talk about struggles. People can look at us and they can see our family and everyone instantly knows they're having a hard time. Right. (laughs) Like there's just, there's no hiding it. There's not that I would even want to, but just, it makes it easier to talk about because it's just, it's so easy to see. You know, these are physical things we're dealing with, and it's harder when it's mental things. I think um, the battles that people in in their hearts, sorrows that we don't see. But there's a phrase, and I I don't even remember who said it to me, and I feel so bad because they deserve um, the credit for it. But um, it was that good can come from this, and that is something. Um. That gives me hope no matter what's going on. And it might not even make sense. Often, most often it doesn't, 
when I'm struggling or I'm in a dark place, but I'll tell myself good can come from this. And, um, even people near and dear to me getting into abusive relationships and, or whatever, you know, life is, can get ugly and hard. And, but I keep falling back on, I know good can come from this. And that is praise to God. He's the one that can turn anything to our benefit. I know good can come from this, no matter what it is, even though it's not right now, it's going to teach you something and it's going to be painful now, but good can come from this. That gives me a lot of hope. I love that phrase. And it's so true. And good can come from anything. Yes. If we allow it it to. Yes. And that's why it's not good will come from this, but good can come from this. If you don't give up. Right. And, and I look at, you know, how difficult and in so many ways, so many things that have happened, they were not they were not good things. I even claim some of those experiences in my life as evil. Right. And when you talked about it was it's easy for people to see that you're, you know, kind of having a stressful or struggling because it's this physical, very apparent thing. And to be honest, I may be hid behind that. And oftentimes people think with my struggles were all based because of my son and what he was going through. I let them think that because I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to open up. I wasn't ready to talk about the other pain. But good has come from it. Mm-hmm. To try to find a way to take what I experienced in so many ways and turn it to the positive and help others connect with others. Yes. Connection, that bridge, it it happens and it can happen. And, and I'm here to tell all of you, you're not alone. You're not, even though Catherine's son has this very rare disease, she's not alone. It might be difficult to find someone who has that very specific disease but she's not alone in how she feels. She not she's not alone in support. She's not alone in reaching out to her God. She's not alone. And my experiences, Catherine's experiences, don't have to be exact to yours for us to be to be able to not help one another. No one's going to have the exact same experiences, and yet what we gain from it can help each other. And I really believe that. I really believe that. There is so much beauty that I have found in connecting and being vulnerable and and honest. And, and there is, it's a depth of, of love and appreciation that I didn't, I wasn't aware of before. Hmm. There are two more points. One is mindfulness or awareness of the powerful effect our thoughts and actions can have towards who we are becoming, a focus on what we can control no matter our circumstances, which I think is really interesting because we've talked a lot about this in a different way without those words, but it there is power in mindfulness. 
Yes. Yes. Are you aware of what you're really doing? Are you aware of what outcomes you've set for yourself? Sometimes we don't even know. We're not even aware. We just think it and we're, or we're living our life planning on this being this way without even writing it down or telling anybody or even actively thinking of it. But if you're aware, are you really aware? Are you mindful what you're saying, what you're doing, what you're thinking? When Isaac was diagnosed, um, the doctor said it could be any day and that he would pass away. And, and they said there was nothing they can do. And they basically sent us home for him to die. And I, I was so shook up thinking, you know, you know, you go to the doctor, you get a diagnosis and then you get medicine, they get better. And that didn't happen this time. And every day, the fear, the fear, I can't even tell you. And he'd start to choke and I was like, oh, this is it, you know, or, you know, and then he'd cough and he was fine. Or he'd cry. I'm like, oh, this is it. Like I was constant state of fear. fear. And the person I was becoming in that dark place that I went into, you talk about that loneliness and that loneliness being in a crowded room full of people that don't understand or don't, you know, the yes, the fear. And that's when I realized um, the power of our thought and who we're becoming. The thought hit me living in fear isn't helping me be the mom he needs me to be because I wanted so bad to be the mom he needed me to be. And I felt so unqualified to do that. I didn't know how to take care of him. I, I wanted all these medical degrees suddenly in my head. And then I realized even doctors with those degrees don't have the answers. And no, I could go to any school, any training, and I'm still not going to be, you know, the perfect, like everything with all the answers. Yeah, the problem. Yeah. You have to turn it over and that, that control and that living in fear is so debilitating. Yes. 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 And I think for me, once I was able to put the fear aside, not that it doesn't come back and you'll have those dark moments and, and sometimes days, but, when we can get rid of the fear and replace it with the hope, but it all goes back to those thoughts and how powerful those thoughts are. That's when the light comes. When I seek for comfort, I now seek for truth because when I find truth, there's comfort there, real lasting truth. And um, let me ask you this. Can you have peace amid the trial, the storms? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. When I worked for USDB, uh, Utah Schools for the Deaf and Blind, there was something they taught us in our training over and over and over again. Um, there was a lot of things, but the main thing was all behavior is communication. They said all, all behavior. And again, you see that in little kids, right? They're crying. That means something. They're communicating. A child's throwing a tantrum. It's because there's something else going on, right? But it goes on with adults too. They're doing things. They're saying things. And and it goes back to that mindfulness. Um, people always say, you know, to stop, take a breath before you react. And I realized one day the reason why that's so important is because it allows you time to interpret the communication. Mm. Their behavior is communicating something and it's causing reactions within you and how you're going to respond to the situation. But if you take a stop, take a breath, take a mindfulness, you know, moment, 
you can interpret it, interpret that communication of what is really needed and what's really going on. Cause it's very rarely what we see and what we instantly think, you know? So going back to your question, what you just asked, can we have joy amid or not joy? Uh, what was it? You asked peace amid mm-hmm. those trials and challenges. I think, yes, I think we can be patient with ourselves if we aren't feeling that peace. Too. Give ourselves <laughs> a break, sure. There's opposites and it's okay to um, get angry. It's okay to feel upset. It's okay to feel lonely. It's it's what you do next, right? It's how, are you going to let that defeat you? Are you going to let that stop you? Are you is that what's going to cause you to give up? And um, so in those moments, when maybe you even want to, when you want to just give up, you don't want to deal with it anymore. It's those moments. um, If you can fall back on the relationship that you've been working on with God, with that relationship with yourself, how you view yourself, how you view others, fall back on that. Like what we're talking about with preparatory, what we're doing now is going to come back to mind in those dark moments. It's not those dark moments that you need to suddenly, you know, do self pep talks. You need to be doing that beforehand, in that truth and knowing it so that you can fall back, make that your foundation you fall back on when you get knocked down. I have loved this entire conversation. You know, Catherine, and I'm just going to, as part of our closing, your third point that you hoped our listeners would gain an understanding about was to trust God, love Him, no matter what. And friends, there's no better way to say it. So please, take time, slow down, take a breath, interpret the communication of things that's going on around you, and allow yourself to find the good in all of your situations and trust God, love Him no matter what. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you have enjoyed our conversation with Catherine Roberry. One of my takeaways today was when Catherine said, I know good can come from this if you don't give up. Each of us have a story to share. Author Brene Brown reminds us that owning our story is the bravest thing you will ever do. The stories and experiences our guests share inspire us, as well as help us to grow and connect with others. We invite you to become a part of Karen the Load community through social media, as well as to share the site with those you know. We are stronger together. Keep Karen. Karen.